Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Uh, I uh, had a, a battle with a cold this last week, so I'm still feeling some of the effects of that, so I apologize uh, as we go forward. But uh, at least we're going to have a great topic today. At least I think so. Uh, so the topic of today is singleness, sex, and marriage. And somebody had asked me this last week. Uh, they said, is that the order you want to present those in? Uh, I was like, well, if you consider them as two categories rather than three, then yes. It is about singleness and sex and marriage. So the, that's how we're going to talk about it today. I think there's going to be a little something for everybody today. Uh, I said that to a woman this last week. She said, Pastor, what are you preaching on? I told her what I was preaching on. And she said, great, because I'm a widow and I want to hear about that. And I was like, oh, uh, maybe I'm not talking about everybody this uh, weekend, but uh, you're single. So, you know, hey, um, anyway, so she's cool with it. Uh, we're all right. All right. So <laughs> here's what I want to do. I'm going to set up the premise uh, for what I believe are biblical truths, and then I will talk about what the Bible says to support those truths. Um, and then I'll talk about some personal applications. So uh, let's start with this uh, that hopefully we can all agree on. If we can't agree with this, we don't go forward. Uh, let's agree at the start that God's way is best. God's way is best, whether I agree with it or not, whether I like it or not, God's way is best. And so God has a plan. He's got a way he wants us to do singleness. He's got a way that he wants us to do marriage. And when he defines marriage, he defines it as one man and one woman. He also describes that sexual relationship should not occur until after marriage, which means then that we don't live together prior to marriage. So I, here's the deal. When we honor God, he honors our relationship. And if we dishonor God, we will not have his blessing in our relationship. It's as simple as that. So I've been through all the stages now. Uh, I've been through single, dating, young married, young married with children, married with teens, uh, adult children who are now also married. Uh, the only stage I haven't hit yet is grandparent. Uh, and I don't know that I was so eager for that, I'll be honest, because I still feel too young to be a grandparent. Uh, but now that my kids are married, I'm like, eh, I could be a grandparent. I'm ready to be that. I'll be a grandpa. Um, but having said all that, uh, I do know that if my wife were up here right now, and I did invite her, but she, she's like, I'm not doing that. Uh, <laughs> if she were here right now, she would tell you that though I know this stuff, that um, it doesn't mean that I have mastered the art of marriage. <laughs> so uh, we've been at it almost 30 years. We're still trying to figure out how to love each other according to our personalities and all the stuff that goes on in our lives. Uh, and there are nuances to marriage that will show you why. Uh, if you're married, you already know. Uh, but we'll unpack that as we go forward. Um, but before we jump into talking about marriage, let's talk about what it means to be single and dating. Um, and I would say this, I don't envy the younger people of today uh, who are growing up in this world. Uh, it is hard enough to figure out yourself and life and what you're supposed to be about and who the Lord is and what he wants for you. Uh, you add to that a world that's very confused about sexuality and gender and is trying to force upon even the church their non-biblical worldviews. Um, it's really hard to figure out how to do life right in these regards. And so let's just see what God has to say about it. Now, few of us have learned principles of this stuff early enough in life. Uh, even though I grew up in the church, I don't know that I heard, uh, or let me just say, I don't know that I listened when they talked about dating. Uh, but we're going to try and do a better job with that. We believe that one of our distinctives as a church is that we need to be equipping families. And so in staying in line with our distinctive, uh, we want to make sure that we do help equip our families. And that starts with young people who are trying to figure this stuff out. Now, perhaps... Uh, unironically, I was talking to uh, one of our student ministers, uh, actually uh, Pastor Chris, who's our family pastor, uh, 
Pastor Chris said, actually, we're going to start teaching on this tonight in student ministry. And I was like, oh, wow, that's neat how God just kind of put that thing together. Uh, so let's talk about straight out of the gate here, the purpose of dating. So the purpose of dating is to evaluate someone for marriage. The purpose of dating is to evaluate for someone for marriage. And if you're dating and you're like, well, I don't know that I'm doing that uh, right now. I'm just kind of dating. Like, okay, then you should not be dating and you should not be dating that person uh, if that's not what you're doing. And you might say, well, like I'm a young person. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know how old you are, 14, 15. Like I don't know that I'm evaluating them for marriage. Well, then great. Then don't date them uh, because that's what the, the point is. So you either date intentionally or recreationally. Recreational dating is not in scripture at all. Uh, to be fair, neither is intentional dating. But, that, but the, the thought is that you need to have a purpose behind what you're doing. And that's really the kicker. The Bible doesn't even talk about dating. And so if you're like, well, I'm only going to do things the Bible supports. Well, then you should never date. Um, but the Bible does talk about marriage. And so we can look at what God says about marriage. And then we can back up from there and think about what he wants us to be looking for in a potential spouse. So with that in mind, what should you be looking for in a potential mate? Well, a potential mate must love Jesus as much or more than you do. That's what I would say. A potential mate must love Jesus, must love Jesus as much or more than you do. I cannot emphasize this enough. There are too many people who will be like, well, you know, I mean, I want to be a Christian. Like, if this is not everything to you, you do not understand the point of human relationships. <clears throat> so here, here, I have to, let me build it out for you. And I get it. When you're younger and when you're dating, it may not make as much sense. But I guarantee you take any Christian person that's been married for a while and they'll go back and say that's the number one for them. Because uh, so, here's how this works. Um, during... Marriage and marriage is wonky. You'll be sometimes it'll be great, sometimes it'll be difficult. Sometimes it'll be great, sometimes that's just normal. That's marriage, all right. But the great thing about being married and loving Jesus is that you've got a third person in the relationship to keep you both on track. So then when I start kind of going off the track or Michelle starts going off track, Jesus is there going, no, 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 no. You're being selfish right now. You're not being loving right now. You need to go back and, you know, love and, and forgive and support. Like you've got somebody kind of shoving you back <laughs> towards the other person, keeping you guys together. If you don't have Jesus in your marriage doing that, who's going to do it? So you've got to have Jesus at the center of what you're doing. And when I say you want somebody who loves Jesus as much or more, it needs to be legit. If they just started showing an interest in Jesus when you started dating, you don't want that person, right? Because <laughs> that will dissipate as soon as they're content that they've got you, right? You want somebody who they were already reading their Bible, they're already serving in their church, they're already uh, memorizing verses or whatever it would be. They're already living the Christian life without you. And when you're out of their life, they'll still be pursuing the Lord. That's what you want. You want somebody who loves Jesus uh, as much or more than you do and they're legitimate uh, about their love for that. Because all of us can be fooled by the imposter and some of us want to be fooled by the imposter. Uh, let's talk about women. Uh, so women, for just a minute here, if you're not careful, guys can come along to you and say the sweetest things and your heart will be stirred and your affections will be stirred and they want to spend time with you. They buy you gifts and you're going to get wrapped up with somebody that you should not be with. And your friends will tell you, like, that's a bad dude. Don't, don't be going out with that dude. But there's something in you that though you know they're right, you will fight them on it and you will cling even tighter to that guy. All right, so, and, and women aren't alone. Guys have the same kind of thing. It looks a little bit different though for guys. Men, if she looks nice, and she smells nice, and she shows you just the slightest bit of physical affection, you are all in. You'll be in this fog of emotion, and it doesn't matter. Your guys will be telling you, dude, she is not the woman for you, and you'll be like, I don't care. Like, she, have you looked at her? She's great. You know, like all this stuff. Now, here's the problem. 
we, we get duped in those moments. And, and if it goes all the way to marriage, you'll be married a very short amount of time before that stuff begins to dissipate, the fog begins to clear, and you'll be asking yourself the question, what have I done? And our goal as the church, hopefully, is to prevent that from happening. I want you, when you finally do marry, and for some of you, you're already married, so that's, we'll have that conversation shortly. But I want, when you get to marriage, you're like, I'm so glad I married the right person. That's what we want. So don't get caught up in the fog of deception for either of us. Um, so one thing we said at the beginning, I'm going to reinforce, when we are in a romantic relationship with someone as singles, or we're dating now, uh, we're dating, but we're not yet married, you're not allowed to have sexual relationship while you're dating. That is only uh, for marriage, which means then that you can't, obviously, you don't touch parts that you're not supposed to touch uh, prior to marriage, all right? Now, if you said to me, well, okay, hold on, well, we're adults, and we're planning to get married, so we're going to go ahead and, and participate in this relationship in a physical way. All right, well, here, here's the thing. I used to sell cars, and if you came up to me and said, hey, uh, Mr. Car Salesman, I intend to buy this Mustang, so would you care if I went ahead and took it home? I would say, no, you cannot do that, but here's the deal I'll make with you. You may take it on a test drive under my close supervision... And if after the test drive, you want more from that Mustang, you can man up and pay the price. And if you don't, then you cannot have this Mustang. <laughs> like, that's, that's just how it works. Like, I think the analogy works there. Like, if you're saying, well, we want to, okay, listen, under close supervision of the Lord, you may uh, go out for a test drive, but you cannot uh, do anything else unless you're willing to man up and pay the price. And so I think there's something to that, uh, and I think Scripture affirms that. So I'm going to direct our attention now to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll put it up here for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm just going to read this passage for you. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So this is the main reason we don't have sex outside of marriage. Because when you become a Christian, you are now uh, a, a representation of the temple of God. You have the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And God's like, listen, I don't want to be joined to that mess. So if you're going to not honor me, uh, that's, we got a bigger problem because I reside in you now. And so that's why we don't have sex outside of marriage. We don't want to dishonor the Lord in that way. So for the Christian, premarital sex has nothing to do with consenting adults or even if you're both willing to sin. It has to do with the fact that the Lord resides within you. And so if you're dating a person that wants to push you further than the Lord allows you to go physically... I would end that relationship with that person. Because if they don't want what Jesus wants for you, you don't want what they have for you, right? So we want to make sure that we keep our focus in the midst of this. If they don't want what Jesus wants for you, you don't want what they have for you. All right, so then this is why I would say then, as Christians, we don't need prolonged engagements. Like once you decide this is your person, let's go ahead and get married, right? The person that comes to me and says, hey, we just got engaged. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. When are you getting married? They're a year and a half from now. I'm like, you are stupid. Like, why would you do that? 
if you already know this is your person, and listen, listen, we know how hormones work, right? You're ready to be with this person. Like, let's do a quick engagement. How long does it take to plan a wedding? I could plan one this afternoon. I like, I could do, I mean, I could do it super fast. Let's go ahead and get this thing done. There's no sense waiting on this. Let's, let's go for it. And so, uh, listen, I, I get that you want to plan this thing out, but like, let's not do a year and a half engagement. Like, we, we can do this thing in a month. We can do it in a few weeks. Uh, I like, you got family and stuff. I get it. But I guarantee you we can figure this out quicker than people tend to. So here's, here's the problem, though. The problem with sex is that God made it too good. That's really the problem with it. It's a, you can amen, amen that. So the, the problem with sex is God made it too good. He did such a great job with it. And I know what it was. He was like, you know, he's probably talking to the angels. And the angels are like, hey, you know, you made this whole earth. It's huge. You've only got a couple people down there. How are we going to make sure there's enough people to run the earth? God's like, I got an idea. <laughs> uh, we are going to fill this earth. Uh, and so he gives us this thing that, that people enjoy, and it's great. I mean, it, it establishes and it builds intimacy. It satisfies desires. It expresses love. You get to be naked. Like, it's got a lot of real positive things to it. Um, but sin, of course, sin is the desire to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And so this thing is we step outside of God's program when we have this thing in us, and we're like, yeah, but God put this in me. Yeah, so let's make sure we honor him in the way that he intended it to be used, which means then that you have to exercise self-control, self-control and restraint. And that's okay. We're, we're grownups. We can do that kind of stuff. It's just difficult. But I got to remind myself of this, that I am, if you're a Christian, I am owned by God now. So it's not just what Jeff wants. It is what God in Jeff wants for me and through me. And so I have to think about that. And then I got to remember too, God paid a steep price for me. Like if I have to make a few sacrifices in life to honor him, that's not that big a deal. So sexual immorality is a sin against God and his presence within me. And so therefore, for the same reasons, we make sure that we avoid pornography, which is shameful for both the viewer and the viewed. And we want to make sure, according to God's program, that we don't feed lust, which is inappropriate. So uh, let's talk a bit about then why we marry. So what is the purpose of marriage? Uh, if you'd asked me this as a younger man, I would have had a different answer. <laughs> but uh, maybe I'm a little more mature now. But let's start with what the Bible says. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. All right, so I love this passage. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of things God made that were good. And this is how you read creation. If you read the creation story, uh, it just goes through all the things he creates. And whether it's light uh, or the separation that creates land or uh, plants or animals, like everything God creates is like, it's good, it's good, it's good. And you finally get to something that God creates and it's not good. And what is not good is that man is alone and he needs a helper. So the reason we get married is we get married so somebody will help us in life. Uh, listen, I know it's not the most romantic of things, uh, but it's legit because at the end of the day, we need somebody in our lives to help fix that, clean that, get this from the store, take the kids to here. You know, like you've, you've just got to have that in life. I mean, I, I get that we love the ooey gooey and the romance and every time I'm near you, my heart, you know, like, like all that's great, but it dissipates pretty quick. Um, and so at that point, you need somebody to run to the store and get some milk, right? Um, and it's just, it's just how, it, like if you came to me and said, hey, I just met this Christian person and we're getting married because I need some help around the house. I'd be like, not the most romantic of reasons, but totally biblical. Uh, and, it, and if they're cool with it and you're cool with it, I mean, you're both going to need counseling. But I think it'll work. It's going to work. So, like, it's not the, it's just, it, that's the reality. That's why we have it. 
And so uh, now then, let's think about how we live that out. When we, okay, so if you have your Bibles handy, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to build that out uh, just a bit. Uh, we're going to talk about some misunderstandings when it comes to God's will in marriage. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, I'll read a section. Uh, we'll go through five verses and talk about it. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote... It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All right, so as we dig into 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we want to make sure that we understand well what's going on because if not, it throws off the whole passage. 1 Corinthians 7, 1, he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So Paul's saying this, somebody wrote me a letter and in the letter you said this. So he quotes them, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So what he means is that somebody in the Corinthian church wrote to him and said, because sex gets so many people in trouble, we think it is a better idea that even if you are married, you abstain from sex. That's what they're arguing. So the argument is for celibacy, even in the midst of a sexual, or even in the midst of a marriage. And Paul's like, uh, no, that, we're not arguing. That's a horrible idea. That's not all what we're doing here. So he goes to verse two. Hey, listen, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And so he's saying, literally, this is why you're getting married as a part of it, is that you will have a, a relationship, a sexual relationship together. That's God's design. You should do that. Verse 3, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise, the wife to her husband. And then you get to verse 4, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. All right, now this authority thing, this is bigger than the sex thing. Uh, this is the everything. Uh, so like, this is like, so my wife uses this body, her body to, I mow the lawn, I clean things around the house, I take care of the car, uh, and she lets me know it. And then I, there's things I need her to do. And so I'm using my body to do uh, other things like that. And this is one of the hard things about marriage because a lot of times you're gonna ask your, your spouse to do something for you and they're not gonna wanna do it. <laughs> Happens to me all the time. Uh, my wife was in the eight o'clock service, I can say anything I want. Uh, so... Like, she'll come to me like, hey, baby, I need you to do this for me. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. You know, like, I want to do this. And I don't want, you know, like, kind of thing. But then there's a part of me that's just like, listen, dude, this is your wife. And, like, she literally gets to make demands on my life like nobody else can. And if she's asking me to do stuff and it, you know, it makes sense, like, I, I need to do that for her. And her by the same token. Uh, and it's not just, this is not just in the bedroom. This is life stuff. Um, and so there's just a part of this where I got to remember part of my body, my capacity. She gets command over that uh, just as I do with her. Uh, verse 5, now, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All right, so now we're back into the sexual relationship just a bit, and it does bear talking about. Um, I heard somebody say one time that prior to marriage, Satan wants people to be sexually active, and then after marriage, he wants to keep you from it. Um, there's probably, probably some truth in that. Uh, but I would say this, it is unhealthy to hold out from your spouse, uh, physically, sexually, uh, except by mutual agreement for prayer, which he says here, which I don't know if that's something we would even do. <laughs> like, I need to spend some time with the Lord. So, you know, talk to me in a month. Um, like I, 
I think the idea back then was like if they were going to spend like a holy day or a holy week or something like that, that they may have abstained because for them they felt it made them more pure going into it. Now, Paul does not affirm that. He doesn't say that's true, but he says if you agree on it and that's something you're both in on, that's okay. You can do that. Uh, But he does offer cautions otherwise. But the idea of being abstinent in the midst of a marriage relationship is abnormal. Like, that, that's not something that's expected to happen. Um, the, and a spouse is not allowed to be functionally celibate in a marriage. Uh, and the mention of Satan means that there's some unintended consequences that Satan will begin to play on if you begin to deprive your partner. Uh, because a wounded and lonely spouse will look for satisfaction probably in other areas. Uh, maybe pornography, maybe even adultery. Now, I would say this. It's never the fault of the offending spouse. Like, nobody ever gets to blame their sin on their spouse. Like, my wife wasn't here for me physically, so I... Like, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. You don't get to engage in sin and blame it on somebody else. You engage in sin, that's on you. But if your spouse is withholding from you, it doesn't make it easier. Um, And so that's one of those where it's kind of a warning to both parties. Now, if there's a disconnect in this area... Uh, And it it may be embarrassing to talk about, but you need to talk about it. You need to sit down and just say, hey, listen, I don't feel like we're working out in this area. Like, there's a problem we need to address. Uh, Now, it could be uh, there's there's something physiological going on, that one of you's got something going on. And in that case, I would say, though it's embarrassing, talk to your doctor about it. Just say, hey, I got this thing going on with my body. I need your help. And they'll help you with it. Uh, It might be that it's a relational issue going on between you two or uh, a psychological issue, in which case you need to get some counseling. And I am very pro-counseling. I'm pro-marital counseling. If you think you need it, sit down with somebody and just start talking to them about it. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's funny. I was, uh, I was talking to a marriage counselor at one point, and uh, I was asking him just some you know, principles of marriage, process and stuff. And in the course of our discussion, he mentioned that he was divorced. And I was like, oh, hold on. <laughs> like, you can't brush past that. The irony is, is significant. Uh, so tell me about your story. And he said, well, here's the thing. He said, you can know all the right stuff and not do all the right stuff. And he's like, I know a lot of the right stuff, and I did not do the right stuff. So, like, that's why I think marriage counseling is actually good for us. Because you can sit back and say, I don't think we need it. We know the stuff we're supposed to do. Yeah, well, you're not doing it. So <laughs> why don't you talk to somebody else about it and let them push you into doing some things that you need to be doing that you're, you're not doing right now. So I'm pro-marital uh, counseling. If you guys need a recommendation, we can recommend as staff. We've got some connections here in town to Christian counselors. Um, and then a final note on that might be that... Um, Some couples get hit with infirmity in the midst of your relationship. So one of you gets a serious illness. Uh, Or some couples uh, almost age out, if you you will. If you get to an age where both of you are like, eh, we're just not feeling it anymore. Like, eh, that's all right. You know, like, you know, we age together. So we'll let let God figure all that out. Uh, But you don't have to be like everybody else. You have to be who God's called you to be. Uh, But these uh, warnings and instructions are given to us so we can think through this. Now, Paul pauses for a moment here, and he's like, oh, you know what? Let's talk about singles for just a second. Uh, So let's talk about God's will in singleness in verses 6 and 7. Paul says, now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Now, Paul at this time a single, it seems like he was probably married earlier um, because he was a member, I think he was a member of the Sanhedrin and normally they were married. Um, but if he was married, she's out of the picture now. So he's either uh, single again and she has either left him maybe because of his zeal for the Lord or she has passed away. Uh, so he's a widow, uh, widower, we don't know. But yeah, either way, uh, he's driving on and he talks about singleness as a gift. There are some people that have a calling to singleness. And I get to the rest of us, that's kind of different, uh, maybe a little weird, uh, but it's not wrong. 
It's a gift. And so if somebody says, you know, like, I'm just not looking for anybody in my life. Well, then here's the thing. We don't shame that person. We don't question their sexuality. Uh, we don't keep trying to introduce them to people. If somebody says, you know, I'm single, I'm content to be single, just like, okay, like, Maybe that's God's gift in your life. Let's affirm that. There's a calling to singleness. And so if somebody is single and they love being single, just embrace it with them. Like, praise the Lord. I'm glad you're exactly who God wants you to be. And I would never want you to think if you're single right now that somehow you're less because other people have, like, no. They're doing what they're doing with God. You do what you do with God. And both of us are the same in God's eyes who need to be redeemed by Christ and walk forward. So um, just embrace it. So Paul says, I wish everybody could do that, but not everybody is. So, you know, embrace your gift. All right. Uh, then let's talk about some more of God's will in marriage going to verses eight and nine. Now to the unmarried and the widows. So here we go for our widow. Uh, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, um, I think there's many people that understand the idea of, of burning with passion. There's something hormonally that God has done with us to ensure our procreation. Um, but he's saying, like, if that's still a part of your life, you're wrestling with that, go ahead and marry. It's not like, it's not even like the worst, like, well, if you have to. Like, he's not saying that. Like, marriage and procreation is God's design. And so he's encouraging it. Um, so he's like, yeah, if you feel that desire, go ahead and marry. That just is the proof that you don't have the gift of singleness. Um, and, and as a side note to that, I, there's a number of adult singles that I've met over the years who are like, you know, I am looking for somebody to date and to marry, and I'm mature, and it's harder. It is, it is harder when you get older. And my wife did make the comment to me that it seems like there's a lot more great women out there than great men as they mature in life. Uh, I don't know where she's pulling that information from, but uh, whatever conversation you ladies are having, I don't know. Uh, but this idea that, like, it is hard. And so trying to find a quality guy or gal as you mature is a real deal. Uh, but I, I will say, I have seen God, even in this church, put together people of various ages. Uh, and I've seen people like in their 70s meet each other. I've seen people in their 40s meet each other. Like, like there's your person's out there. Uh, let's just trust God with it. But just, just be patient and we'll let him bring him at the right, in the right time. Verse 10, to the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. All right, so the calling here is to honor the covenant you made with God, with your spouse. Uh, so a Christian couple doesn't get to divorce because, you know, you're going in different directions or you married too young or the most common excuse I hear, she crazy. Um, like, you don't, you don't get to divorce for those things. Like, we have to stay together. We have to stay together. Like, the... the there's several things on divorce in Scripture, including Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus talks about divorce. That, that's not, that was never God's intention. Uh, now, listen, there are biblical reasons for divorce. There are. They're mentioned in Scripture. Uh, infidelity is a biblical reason for divorce. Somebody cheats on you. They sleep with somebody else. You are free from the marriage. You're allowed to divorce and remarry. Uh, abandonment, uh, especially by a non-believer, if they just take off and leave you, like that's a reason that we're allowed for divorce. Um, it, it's not explicitly mentioned in Scripture, but I think implicit uh, is abuse. And so if you're being physically abused, you or the kids are in danger, you're allowed to leave your spouse. Um, I think you can do that. Um, but just because you're unhappy in marriage, that's not a reason to leave the marriage. Uh, if you're unhappy in marriage, I promise you this, it will cost you less to fix the unhappiness than it will to pay the cost for leaving. And so I think you can change the happiness quotient in your marriage. I'll talk more about that before we're done today. Uh, let's keep going, verse 12. Uh, to the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever 
and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So here, here's the thing in marriage. Like, you shouldn't date somebody you don't want to marry. So if you're a Christian, you don't date a non-believer. Now, that's not just me saying that. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 talks about being unequally yoked. And so I encourage that. If you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The meaning then that I'm going to choose to date somebody who reflects the ideals. Like I started with this. Like somebody who loves Jesus as much as I do or more. That's my, that's my thing. But if you start dating a non-believer and you end up deciding to marry them, that's your person. That's, that's who you marry. And you can stay with them. It's fine. It's going to make your, your spiritual walk is going to be really weird. But you can make it work. And the counsel, at least of the Apostle Paul, is you can stay with that person and kind of work it out. Now, before we stop today, we have to go take a look at one more passage. And I know I didn't do 1 Corinthians 7 justice, but uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 22. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. Um, and uh, I did get some input today from Dr. David Croto. So thank you for your notes, Dr. Croto. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. All right, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. All right, so if you're a husband sitting here today and you're thinking, that's what I'm talking about, uh, stop, stop before you get in trouble. Uh, just sit quietly and just, mm, mm. Uh, that's wow is he I didn't I didn't know he, that's crazy um, yeah so the, here's the thing about this and anybody outside the church they're going to look at this and be like oh that's so patriarchal that's so caveman wait like what are you even doing believing that like no, here's the it's none of those things I'll tell you what it is it is God's will and since he designed marriage in the first place there's something in this that he values and so uh, let's talk about what this really is first of all if you're talking about me and my wife, uh, this would have nothing for me and my wife of having absolute submission uh, demanded from my wife to me. My wife is not my pet. She's not my child. She is equal to me. Um, and I can never make her, uh, try to make her submit to me in ungodly demands. Uh, what it does mean, though, is that she voluntarily yields to me uh, as head of the home. Um, but my wife is not less than me. Right, so um, wives should submit to their husbands as because the hu husband is the head of the home; he's the authority of the home. Uh, now, to be fair, there are times when uh, I yield to her because her wisdom is better, and I decided we would do what she told me to do. Um, <laughs> and so that's how it works out sometimes. Uh, but but other times, you know, it's it's the the husband is really the head there. So um, that's how that plays out. There's more to that, but uh, we we're not going to unpack all that now. Let's just let's just go ahead and jump to 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
All right, so there's so many things in this, but starting in verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I would think that women uh, wives wouldn't have trouble with verses 22 through 24 if, if they had husbands who lived verse 25. Like if you have a husband who will love you sacrificially with the kind of love that Christ has for his church, that's a guy you're not gonna have any trouble submitting to, right? This is the kind of guy who, as scripture talks about, nourishes and cherishes you. When we get to the end of this in verse 33, uh, where this is a man you'll love, uh, or he's gonna love you, uh, but then you're also gonna demonstrate him respect. So this is how it is supposed to work. This is kind of the, the Bible perfect picture of this. But frankly, it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to live all these things out well. Um, so then we would pause now. Let's just pause now. And so, okay, what do we do mo moving forward from here? One of the things I've often said to people, and I would say it to you if you came up to me uh, for a conversation after, is like, I care very little about how you came into this service today. Like whatever you bring with you, I care very much about what you're gonna do with the content you just heard. Um, and I know that, that, I don't, that we're all in different places. And some people in here would say, I have not been doing this right or we are not doing this right. And I would say, okay, well, let's, let's change then. Going forward from here, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna do it right? So there's a, a couple of things here as we're talking about this. The, the two main idea, ideas, singleness and marriage. To remind you of something I referenced earlier, there's no formula for how to be single and how to be married uh, because we're not formulaic as people. We're, we each have our own wiring, personalities, experiences that have shaped us who, into who we are. So while there's not a formula for singleness or marriage, there are principles, and the principles lived out by us are gonna look different because we're just all wired different. But biblically, they need to be based on the same principles. And so if you're single and you're thinking about these issues, I have an assignment for you this week. So my assignment to a single this week uh, is that I want you to be reading 1 Corinthians chapters six and seven. So 1 Corinthians chapters six and seven. Now I would actually add to that 2 Corinthians chapter six, which talks about um, the idea of being yoked equally. Um, and and as, as we talk about that, maybe as you're taking those notes down, I want to talk to you about something. So there's a myth in our culture that waiting for you somewhere is this soulmate, this idea that like this perfect person. And you'll hear, hear people say that. They'll be married, and after a while, their marriage kind of sours, and they'll talk about this other person they met, and they'll be like, I met my soulmate. All right, so those, those are make-believe words. They, they're not real. Uh, here, here's the Bible way this works. When you get married... That person's your soulmate. That, that's whoever they are. That, this is not about feeling. This is about reality. And so there's no magic person out there. There's just your person that you choose to marry. Um, also, if you're single and you hope to, to marry, um, pause for a moment and be glad that you're single. Because while you're single, you're not distracted by this person of the opposite sex who's, who's taking now all of your affection, and you can really focus on your walk with Christ. So I had a friend of mine uh, some years ago, and uh, he had just come to know the Lord, and he was a bit of a mess, and uh, he, he was desperate for a woman. He's like, I just want to get married. I just want to meet somebody. I'm, I'm looking on these apps and stuff. And I told him, I said, brother, stop. Do not look at that stuff. I don't want you going out with anyone. I said, do you really want the woman that wants you now? Or do you want the woman that's gonna want you a year from now after you've been walking with the Lord? And he's like, I think I want the other one. 
I was like, I know, right? So I was like, let's do this. Let's take this next year and really focus on learning and growing with the Lord. And that's what he did, by the way. He paused and just worked on his own life, getting right with Jesus. And then he became the kind of guy that I think a woman would want to marry. Um, so that's, that's something. Just praise the Lord for being single because you can really focus on who wants, God wants you to be. Now, if you're married, here's what I want you to do this week. As a married couple, I want you to sit down and I want you to read Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Uh, but here's the, here's the rule. You don't get to comment on your spouse's requirements. You only get to comment on yours. So guys, you don't look at this. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Yeah, honey. You're like, nope. That she gets to talk about that. She gets to talk about what that means to her, how she's processing it. How she, if she asks for your input, you can give it. If she doesn't ask, you don't give. That's how it works. But just be fair. If, if you start giving unwanted input, you're very likely to receive it right? And uh, you're going to have the worst date night ever. So <laughs> let's not do that. Let's just process it as God has presented it out there. And let's talk about ways that we're feeling like we're living up to it, not living up to it. And then I would encourage you to say, hey, what's one thing I can do to, to do a better job with what God's entrusted me with you, right? So go ahead and feel free to solicit some input there. Now, there's so many great resources out there. And, um, I, you know, it's hard to recommend them all, but I think I've got an idea that's going to help us. Um, so one thing that we could do to help everybody is this week on your social media account, post your favorite resource on either being single or being married. Like that would be really beneficial because if we're all exposed to all these resources, if you've got one that really talks about the Christian embracing singleness uh, or marriage, if you post that on social media and just, hey guys, just want you to know, found this great resource, I encourage it, uh, then we can all kind of cross-pollinate and share that. Uh, there's a few that I have found really beneficial. So one is this book called Love and Respect, which is based on Ephesians 5.33. Uh, so let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So the love and respect idea. Uh, that's by Dr. Egrich's. Uh, and we've also put on here the QR code. So if you want to take a picture of that with your phone, it takes you right to the site. Uh, we don't get any kickback on that. We just thought it would make it easier for you. Uh, so <laughs> that was one there, Love and Respect by Dr. Egrich's. Uh, also, though, if you're single, there's a book called Single, Dating, Engaged, and Married by Ben Stewart. Now, it is geared more towards uh, young adults, but um, I, I think at any age, the content would be beneficial. And so uh, we commend this to you, Single, Dating, Engaged, Married by uh, Ben Stewart. And then uh, finally, the, for those who are married, I would offer one other thing here. Um, there's this group we love, my wife and I love, called Family Life. And uh, Family Life uh, does these uh, things, uh, these marriage conferences. Um, again, you can check them out, familylife.com. Uh, they do these marriage conferences where it's called a weekend to remember. And they're all over the U.S. all the time. And I think it's good for you to just periodically do one of these. Uh, I don't care how long you've been married. Like our kids are newly married. We're already recommending they go to one. Not because they're in any kind of trouble. We just think it'd be good for them. Uh, this, is like, this is like maintenance on your car. Like if you neglect maintenance on your car, your car gets in trouble. If you neglect maintenance on your marriage, your marriage gets in trouble. And so uh, I think it's just a, a healthy thing to do. Uh, let's close with this. What if I failed? What if I failed? Well, if you failed, then I would say repent. Just, just repent. Just confess to God that what you've been doing is wrong. The way you've been doing it is wrong. Agree with him on this and then change direction. And if your partner isn't willing to pursue the Lord with you in this regard, then it's time to end that relationship. Now, and you might be thinking, well, I don't know that I want to end the relationship. Like we, we work together really good. It's just that we, okay, stop. 
when I was a younger man, I was dating a woman. I was really into her. She was really into me. And we had a really unhealthy, unbiblical relationship. And when I began to really pursue the Lord, I realized that I really needed to break up with this woman. And I did. And it crushed me. It was so, I thought I was going to marry her. Uh, and it broke my heart. And then I just poured myself into the Lord. And then a short time later, God introduced me to Michelle. I mean, I... I won the lottery, right? <laughs> like, if I had stayed with that other woman and all that she became, no offense to her, uh, it would have been a nightmare of a relationship. And yet I ended up with a great wife, great kids. I've got a great life right now. Trust God, even though it means doing the hard thing. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for a moment right now just to think about your prescription for human relationships and this beautiful thing you've given us uh, of how to think about our wiring in front of you whether you've called us to be single and given us that gift or whether you've called us into marriage and given us the gift of a spouse. Lord, we celebrate what you prescribe in your holy name. Amen.